Press C to cancel. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tap B. I am Sick Jake, and I'm joined today with my good friend and co-host, Werewolf. Wolf, how you doing? Ah, pretty good. How about yourself? Howdy, folks. Ah, pretty good myself. Today, we're actually going to talk about a game that is kind of got a special place in my personal list of favorite games of all time. Uh, definitely of all time on the Game Boy, for sure. And that's Final Fantasy Adventure. Released in 1991... Well, actually, we were talking about that before the podcast here. It was released in 1991, originally as a Square Square title, but then we just found out in a Game Boy re-release, it was published by Sunsoft. Now, I don't know about you, I didn't realize that was a thing. I knew it was published by Sunsoft, but like I said, the, the copy I bought back in 98 says Sunsoft on the box. For whatever reason, I can't find Square on the box if I look. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't see Square's logo on the, on the screenshots of the wiki either. I, but as I mean, as a kid, I always knew it was a Square game, so that's why I bought it. That's really bizarre. When I bought it, I knew it was, a, I mean, it was Final Fantasy. It was 98. Right. By that point, who didn't know Square was responsible for Final Fantasy? But <laughs> uh, I do remember thinking it was weird that it said Sunsoft on the box. And then I don't know if I knew at the time that it was a prequel or rather, you know, the first game in the Secret of Mana series. And yeah, see, that's the whole thing with this is the the origin of this game, I guess, is kind of interesting in that it's not, like you said, not a Final Fantasy game at all. I mean, of course, as a um, kid, I never knew that. Technically, it is. The original title in Japan was Seiken Densetsu Final Fantasy Gaiden. It's even tight. <laughs> so it was officially Final Fantasy Side Story. Oh, is it really? So the Secret of Mana series then is like a, a side story spinoff of Final Fantasy. Yeah, it was a sort of offshoot of Final Fantasy, which is why Chocobo is so prominent in the first game. And then it just took a life of its own after that. Probably for the best, actually. I feel like Secret of Mana is better for it not being attached to Final Fantasy anymore. Well, I mean, when you look at like the world and the lore of the Secret of Mana series, it is quite a bit different than Final Fantasy. And I think there's more similarities between each of the games in that series than there is in Final Fantasy. Yeah, I think so. Like I'm thinking in terms of the SNES one and the Game Boy one, in terms of weapons and enemies, there's a lot of similarity in the characters and stuff. My goodness, playing through this again, I was just flabbergasted by how much, how many holdovers there were from the Game Boy game to the Super Nintendo follow-up. Secret of Mana has a lot that pulled from Final Fantasy Adventure, and I didn't even realize it. Oh, yeah, like the games are definitely sister games, like you can tell. Between the monsters, the weapons, the armor, even even in some cases, like boss sprites almost feel inspired by the Game Boy games. Maybe we could give a little bit of the background on the plot of Final Fantasy Adventure, or the first of the Secret of Mana series. Yeah, it's... <laughs> so it's it's not the thickest plot in the world. <laughs> no, it's kind of light. <laughs> it's it's pretty tropey and pretty flimsy. It starts off, and they give you zero backstory. You start off as this dude who's imprisoned and fighting in Colosseum battles against various monsters and who knows what else. And then prison break. <laughs> 
Like you get no story as to how they planned this prison break. You get no story as to how long you've been in prison. It's just like, well, this sucks, but we have a chance to get out. Let's take it. Well, and what gets me about that is the opening. You are introduced to a couple characters in the dungeon, uh, one named Willie, another Amanda. And, you know, nice to meet you, Willie, but you never see him again the entire game. That's true. And the other character, Amanda, you see once later on in the, in the middle of the plot. And, you know, spoiler, she dies. But, like, that's it. There's, like, no character building. Yeah, she's she's not an unimportant character because she does adventure with you for a dungeon that's pretty difficult for the time it's at. Yeah. And then... Yeah, they they don't really give you a chance to get attached to her. And Willie, pff, he's just yeah. gone. Like, why even give him a name? It's crazy. Like, I know, <laughs> and we may talk a little bit later on a bit, but this game had several remakes over the years, and Willie does get a bit more of an expanded role in the GBA uh, reboot or remake. But in the original Game Boy one, he gets nothing. <laughs> Two lines and he's done. Yeah, I I don't remember much about the GBA game. It's been a long time since I played it, and I got stuck pretty early on. I do remember being excited about playing a remake of it because I loved Final Fantasy Adventure. But uh, I think I was a little bit disappointed in what they did with the music. Even though it sounded neat, it just didn't have the same feel. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I liked the original Game Boy game is the music is very tight. Like right from the beginning of the, the game, right after that prison break or that, that boss battle, it's just pumping soundtrack for a Game Boy game. Game Boy always astonishes me with how good the music is on that system. Oh, yeah. the There's, what, two or three world map musics in mm-hmm. Final Fantasy Adventure, and they are all kick-ass. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, yeah, as soon as you, like, you have that prison break... You escape, and then you're encountered with, you know, the the enemy of the of the game. Is it Dark Lord right off the bat, or is it just Julius? I think it's just Julius. If you ever want to see a, a, the origins of Kefka, all you need to do is look at Julius and Final Fantasy. Yes, Adventure. that's fair. I think that you see Dark Lord, but they don't really give much to him before you fall down the waterfall at the beginning. Right. And then you wake up, you're in a field... So full of plot. <laughs> then you go on your have way an and adventure. music kicks in thumping. Yeah, have an adventure. <laughs> it's, it's the thinnest of plots, right? Yeah. You are given a pendant early on, and then I think you find the girl who it belonged to or something, or you just come across her. I don't really remember too much. I wish they gave the the hero and the girl a name. Well, in the original game, it was um, the boy. I want to say they call him Sumo. And the girl you meet is Fuji, I want to say, which is the weirdest names, even for Japanese titles. I read something that said his name was Sumo in the nor- in North America, too. But in my manual, it just refers to him as the hero over and over. So right. I couldn't find anything about that. Yeah, I think what it gives you opportunity is just like boy and give him a name. And as usual of that time, it's six character limit, I think, is the limit. And then same thing it's, for the girl. No, it's four. Oh, it's a really? four character limit. And wow. they have you name both of them at the beginning when you first fire up the file. You don't know who either of them is. Mm-hmm. You just name him, name her. Boom. Then they drop you into the prison. Yeah. You have no <laughs> understanding of their relationship whatsoever. And you're completely absent. And then you just encounter in the field unconscious. It's just very bizarre uh, plot device. Yeah, and this time, I do remember playing through originally 
following the story can get tricky because there's not a ton of it. And a lot of times you're given direction by one character in one very specific spot and then venture out into the world and try to find where you were directed to. The first time I played through this game originally, I got stuck a lot because I wouldn't think to really, you know, this is where I got to go. And then I'd save the file and come back a day or two later and play more. And I'd be completely lost. I didn't know where I had to go. So this time I made it because I played through it on the Switch. I took screenshots when they'd tell me where to go. And (laughs) if I knew I was about to save it, I would save it right next to them, too. So that way, when I'd come back again, I could talk to them and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's where I got to (laughs) go. Well, like if you're lucky, you'd get like one or maybe two dialogue windows of story beat. And it's usually along the lines of like, I mean, the whole idea is you're supposed to be this, the knight of Gemma out to protect, you know, the the family of the mana tree. And this girl is basically destined to be the mana tree, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And you're kind of there. Her destiny is to protect her. You never met her before, but, you know, you name her and you're supposed to be her defender. But they don't even give you that much until you beat the game. <laughs> you beat the You're game and then you find out all this stuff well it's like three quarters away in the game and you meet one of the old guys one of the old sages and he's like oh by the by you're the knight of, we're the knight of gamma this is what we do and and you're the tree of mana you find out you need to protect her pretty early on probably about a quarter to halfway through and then they're like okay now you're a gemini you find out about the gemini's about a quarter through but then they're like, now you're the Geminite, about three quarters through. <laughs> and then you beat the game, and they're like, well, this is why you had to protect her, because she's part of the the lineage of mana people, and she's the last of them. And <laughs> She's literally becomes a tree. She's a tree lady, and you're to protect her. But like, you're a Geminite instantly. Even Luke had to go to see Yoda before he became a Jedi, officially. Like this guy, some old guy says, boom, Geminite, thanks. Yeah, it was a little bit silly how they do that stuff. So again, the plot is not the greatest. Uh, part of that, I think, is comes down to the, I guess, the translation. This game has a bit of an interesting way of words, or I guess using the dialogue space that was given on the Game Boy card. Um, we mentioned the names are kind of odd, Sumo, Fuji. Have, did you notice any of the odd translation errors or English, I guess, that I did? Um... I noticed the one that really sticks out for me is most of the time they call her Medusa properly, but then in the scene where Amanda dies, they call her Medusa. Oh, I missed that one. It's a spelling mistake. <laughs> wow. I didn't know if it was a spelling mistake or what. It was the the first time I caught it, so I didn't know if I had just ignored it and then noticed it or if it was a mistake. But then later I talked to somebody else and they actually refer to her as medusa so they didn't misspell it there in town at least they stuck with it <laughs> for me it was um somebody refers to one of the old guys as um a man named bogart not a man named but a man named Bogart. it's just weird grammar yeah i mean it, it feels dumb to pick on this kind of stuff but when you're you only get two dialogue windows at a time if that an hour you kind of pick on the the dumb stuff in the dialogue yeah with as little dialogue as there is in this game especially You know, a lot of RPGs, you hit a new story switch and people's dialogue gets changed. At least a few of them sometimes, you know. Nobody in this game gets a a flip switched on their dialogue. Except for, I don't know, maybe 10 characters that are not 
story-driven characters? It's very few. I mean, there's a point in the story where you, um, there's like a fortress or a town and, there, and a few people are frozen, right? Frozen because of the, one of the bad guys, Cray. I think his name is Cray. And uh, one guy's frozen and like, I swear, oh, he's going to have great dialogue before and after, but no, nothing. Nothing changes. You save that town by killing the villain and you get nothing in terms of dialogue from the people there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's literally, here's an item. Go here. <laughs> Thanks for all that plot, game. Like, done. But even comes down to, like, the spells. Everything has got that four-character limit, because you're right now, it is four-character limit, because mm-hmm. all the spells are four characters or less, right? And it's like, you've got the Book of Sleep. Learn Slep. Yeah, Slep. Most That's of them like, are lit. fine. Cure, Lit, Fire, Heal. Nuke. Nuke. <laughs> <laughs> and then all the the weapons. Uh, let's Let's get into some of the weapons here. This is... One of the biggest shortfalls of this game. There's a lot of weapons in this game. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the base versions you cannot get rid of, even though your weapon and equipment inventory can get full. And then some of those weapons are just useless. Well, so the reason why you can't get rid of the base ones, though, is because you need them to progress, right? Because you can cut down trees with the axe. You need a whip to, you know, cross with a post to pull your across in the Anna Jones style. So some of them have like gameplay needs outside of combat. Yeah, but at the same time, nah, I guess you you make a valid point and I did see that, but it was kind of frustrating having, you know, a stronger version of the same weapon, like the wear axe instead of just whatever the original axe was called. Well, and they do they do throw them at you pretty fast and loose too, right? Like here's a new sword and then before the next dungeon, here's another whip and then here's a spear and they're just one after another. You don't spend a lot of time with each weapon. Some some weapons you spend no time with. There was the wind spear. Mm-hmm. I bought it. I never found a point that I could use it before I had a better weapon that I could use because everything was immune to it. Well, see, that's the other, you know, because that's a beef I have as well. So... The, the problem with some of the enemies is, you're right, is they're invulnerable to certain weapon classes, right? Some are, you, know, you the whip is useless against them, you have to use a spear. Some, only the sword will work, etc. And there are points in the game where you'll get a brand new weapon, and it's great, it's like amazingly powerful upgrade, but half or more than half of the dungeon is completely immune to it. And the only way you know you're they're immune to it is because of an audio cue. I didn't realize this when I played it recently, because I played it on the Switch, and I had the volume down because I was listening to... <laughs> podcasts and stuff so i'm just whacking on enemies because sometimes enemies take a lot of hits with certain weapons and you don't realize yeah and then i just realize i'm hitting them with a whip and it's doing nothing it just it's like 12 shots nothing and i turn the audio up and i'm like oh it's the ringing noise it's no good here that drove me nuts but see that same thing can happen with magic too you can be using magic on enemies and it won't work but you don't get an audio cue with the magic it'll just let you burn your mp to the ground without killing an enemy so for me, the only magic spell I used on enemies was fire. I didn't use any of the other ones because what I ended up having, either the issue was the spells are too expensive, mana cost, or in the case of the frost spell, you don't get experience for killing enemies that way. I tried not to use the frost spell. Uh, probably the last two or three dungeons, I did end up using lit a lot because I found that in those dungeons, the weapon I was using, and I think at that point I was using the dragon sword, um, the dragon sword could kill most things and what it couldn't, lit could. Right. And then in that second to last dungeon, you get your buddy. And here's a recurring theme with this game. You get 
travel companions, usually for a single dungeon. And they all have little things that they do. So in this particular dungeon, the travel companion could restore your magic. So I was <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, I'm just going to fry everything. Wait, which one is that? Um, Dr. Bow Wow's invention. Oh, the robot guy? Really? He felt... Oh, you know what? So I never... So what you have to do is when you have your, your companions, there's a, a menu a thing called Ask, and that's what triggers that. And before the robot in, in the tower in the desert, uh, before you meet him, I want to say it was Lester. And Lester's ask, when you ask him for a favor, is he changes the dungeon music. Literally, that's all he does. He changes the bloody music and nothing else. He is so useless as a buddy. I used him to change it to the overworld music because banger. <laughs> yeah, it's a good track, but still. <laughs> like the, the the girl, that when you when you get the name in the beginning of the game, when she's with you a couple times, hers is a heal spell, which is fantastic, amazing. I used her quite a bit. Oh, yeah. It's the only thing you have to keep in mind with that is it's not an instant heal. It's like a heal over time. Right. Which is a pretty advanced thing for this game, considering everything else that it has that's pretty rudimentary. Well, I mean, it's not a very deep game. I mean, there's an assortment of weapons. Like, we should maybe touch a bit more on the weapons. I mean, there's axes and Are we and selling the listeners and... on this game yet? <laughs> <laughs> I really do like this game. Me too. We're, like, we're crapping on it a little bit here, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Just accept well, that we're 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 shitting on it, but it's not hot garbage. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so I I do like the combat quite a bit, and in fact, I would say I even like the combat in this game more than Secret of Mana on the SNES. I found the combat here a little bit more engaging. Um, at the start, it's a little bit difficult. So here's the thing with the combat: it's it's Zelda like combat uh, with some spells you can cast, which is useful. Yes. But there's a meter on the bottom of the screen. And when the meter fills up, you can do, a, I guess, a special move with your weapon. Now, there are stats for your character. There's, it's like strength, willpower, intelligence, wisdom, something like that. Um, the meter fills up very slowly at the start of the game. And if you don't pump that one stat to make it feel faster over time, it makes it very difficult to use any of the super moves. So I'm not sure how you built your character, but for me, I always pumped will to make that meter fill up super quick. And I was using supers constantly. I didn't know that's what affected that. Yeah. All I noticed was by the end of the game, that bar was hauling ass. And at the beginning of the game, it very much was not. Interesting. Well, And some of those supers are really amazing. If you have the sword, you can do two moves with the sword. That's why it's great. You can either fly across the screen. Superman or the style. spin attack. Yeah. Which I hate the spin attack. Well, it had its use, uses. It's not as powerful as the, the flying attack. Um but the spin attack has points that are decent, especially early on in the game when you want to um, find hidden doors. Much like Zelda does, you have to hit a door, a wall, and if it clanks, then you know you can break it down. So I would use the spin attack and cover all three wall, three or four walls to see if there's any hidden doors. That's what I used it for. Oh. But like that Superman fly attack, there's a couple bosses where I don't think I could have beaten it without that move. And if I had to wait for the meter to fill up every 30 seconds, I would have gone nuts. So I always <laughs> pump Will. Will before anything else. I I think I used that move exclusively on the final boss. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 a god move. There's also a, a sword later on called um, the Blood Sword. And uh, I can't remember, if it, I I think, can't remember if it heals you or does damage based on your health, something like that. I just remember being extremely overpowered. I read into it, it steals HP from the enemy. Right. I'm not sure at what rate, but it steals HP, and I missed it. 
Oh, really? So I guess that's one of the things with this game is the weapons are sometimes they're hidden fairly well, and sometimes they're from drops off of enemies. And you're right, you can miss a few. And there's not that many in the game, um, so it's kind of a bit a bit weird that you can miss some of them completely. There are the yeah. There's a couple of dungeons where you kind of need to go out of your way to find the the special rewards. Special rewards being new versions of armor or weapons. And I think there's a couple of dungeons where I just there there had been a few dungeons where there weren't really any rewards, except for you know you'd go through the dungeon, and it would limit you on where you could go. You had to go backwards, and find it again right so you'd you'd hit a door or somewhere where you couldn't advance you had to go back and take the other fork find something new that let you advance the first way i went that happened a lot so after that happened like two or three dungeons in a row i was kind of bored of like making a point of exploring everything i was like well if it's gonna have me go back and get something important it'll have me go back and get something important so i missed out (laughs) on a few pretty good things because of that and then by the end of the game, I was fully exploring everything again. Yeah, I always have keys, always have matox. So when you when I say doors, there's no bombs like Zelda. In this game, you use matox to break down walls, certain walls, and you always want to keep those on you in the beginning of the game. Yeah, fortunately, by the end of the game, they make that less of an issue by giving you a weapon that acts on its behalf. But right, and the morning—that's the morning star, and that's actually a kick-ass weapon. There's a lot of enemies that die in one or two hits with that thing. Even at the end of the game, almost everything still takes damage from that when yep. a lot of weapons they have immunity to for some reason or another. Yeah, I think the end of the game, I was bounced between the Dragon Sword and the Morning Star mm-hmm, uh, in the final couple dungeons. There was a lot of that swapping toward the end. I do remember the, I thought the, the, okay, so the enemies in this game, they had a lot of character to them. It was so bizarre. Some are definitely some odd. <laughs> You you got a lot of enemies that you think, well, that's kind of a weird enemy to just have out of nowhere, but the game just throws these weird ty- enemy types at you so often that by the end of the game, you kind of stop questioning it. But you got stuff, I mean, you got pretty basic stuff, you know, animals in the wilderness early on, so I think you've got porcupines or moles or something, and birds or bats or jellyfish, I think was one of them, which... I mean, it's kind of weird considering it wasn't really in the water, but. There's a couple that look like um, wolves with a head, just a wolf head, I think. Yeah, just a wolf head (laughs) was one of them. And I think that was more because it was easier to convey that it was a wolf with that, like just the head than it was doing a full body wolf. So I think that was a technical limitation. Well, there's also werewolves in the game as well, and they kind of look like werewolves. That's true. You're right about that. But it, it's got black mages, it's got ninjas, it's got knights, it's got a lot of standard fare. And then, what, the last enemy you encounter before you fight the final boss is an elephant. Who throws pumpkins. I didn't even get to see it throw pumpkins. Like, they just oh, died really? too fast for me. <laughs> no, he chucks, at least they look like pumpkins to me. I maybe they're watermelons, but either why a elephant thing is the last enemy you see chucking fruit at you, I have no idea. But it's it's just a quirky game. But like that's something that's carried on throughout the series, right? It does. Yeah, like these things carry on throughout the franchise and they just give them more personality and make them fit better visually. Again, you know, four colors, eight by eight pixels, I think, maybe 16 by 16. I'm not sure exactly what they were in this game. But uh, 
little sprites with four shades of gray, yeah, there's only so much information you can convey. So that was probably one of the reasons for such bizarre enemy types. Like, I'm just glad to see it as uh, something that really makes the series stand apart from Final Fantasy. Like, Final Fantasy will always have, you know, the Cactars and the Moogles, but but Secret of Mana has, like, the weird mushroom things, the flying pillow thing. I, I don't even know what they're called, but they're quirky, <laughs> and there's a lot of them, like a ton of them. I mentioned this earlier. This game has the Chocobo. Which is weird, though. It It's a little weird, but, I mean, you use them to travel. However, I can find no discernible reason why the Chocobo had to be injured and be given robotic legs and called Chocobot once. He gets upgraded. (laughs) And that's it. Why do you need a cyborg Chocobo? Unless I missed him early on, I don't know why he was given robotic legs. (laughs) (laughs) It was just very strange. And the reason why he gets upgraded is so you can travel on water. It seems like that would be able to happen anyway. If they had just given it to you, you wouldn't have questioned it. The robotic legs makes it seem less like it should be able to traverse the water to me. Well, I mean, you just think that the trope in most you know, fancy games or RPGs is a boat. You know, the character gets a boat or a canoe or something. But no, in this game, you get, you get a living animal, a bird, but he doesn't fly. Oh, no, no. We give him robot legs so he can go on the water. <laughs> it's, it's one of the dumbest vehicles in a game I've seen in a while. It's cute, though. It is. It's unique, but it's weird. But, I mean, even his sprite, it doesn't convey that his legs are different from the standard Chocobo sprite. Because you, you see this the first Chocobo before he gets injured and needs new legs. The thing that changes about him is he gets a helmet. Is that what changes? That's what changes. I thought his, his feet were different. I don't think so. I might have to look into this now. I'm not sure. Yeah, all I remember is his feet get longer like his skis. Oh, okay. That might explain the. Okay. If that happened, then I guess it makes more sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Well, <laughs> it's still weird as hell. <laughs> Fair point. But it, I mean, at least it's neat that there's ways of restricting map because like the map is actually fairly decently sized. Oh, it's. And once you get the Chocobot, you can go anywhere. But before that, you have things like uh, you need to cut down trees with an axe or. You have to use a whip to cross chasms. So they, they kind of gate it a little bit with the weapons and the chocobo. And I, I still like that. I like the world a lot. A lot of that stuff is stuff that held over into follow-up mana games. At least Secret of Mana did a lot of that stuff. Well, and that's the thing, too. The weapons in this game are almost one-for-one one in Secret of Mana, right? Like the sword, the whip, um, the spear, all that stuff. Yeah, the the stuff you don't get is... I don't think you get a Morningstar. No, not, not in the SNES game. In the Game Boy game, you don't get a bow and arrow, you don't get a javelin, you don't get a boomerang. You you don't get the arrows, but Lester does shoot arrows on your path, so it's kind of in the game. But yeah, you're right, you don't get to use it yourself. And your spear is kind of like a javelin. That's true. That's right. With the uh, charged shot, it shoots across the screen. Yeah, you chuck it across the screen. But like the equipment itself is fairly deep. I mean, well, no, not deep, but it's it's better than I expected for sure. Like you get... Uh, not just weapons, but, you know, armor as well. We don't need to go too deep in the armor, but there are things like ice shield, ice armor, fire armor, that kind of thing. And it actually affects the damage you take. So if you can, Game Boy Palette, if you can recognize what the fireball attacks or, or you know, the frozen attacks are from the snowmen, you could, if you equip the right armor, it makes those dungeons a lot easier. Yeah. It, it had a lot of interesting stat mechanics and things like that happening behind the scenes that you don't really notice unless you're really paying attention. And again, that's one of those things that, like, there's a lot more depth to the game 
than it looks like from first glance. At first glance, like I said, it looks very rudimentary, but it's it's not. It's deeper than it shows the player. Right. Well, I mean, you, it, the game is stat-based with the combat, and there's consumable items. I didn't really use them in my recent playthrough, but I remember when I was younger playing it, I used to. Um, there's one item, you you eat it, and your suit bar goes to max. Or another one that gives you, you know, twice the strength for a few seconds. And in some boss fights, that made the difference for me. I didn't use any of those. I found myself selling them. Good for money, anyway. Yeah, it was more for that. By the end of the game, I think I was just hoarding x and a couple of elixirs. Yeah. And I made sure I had a stack of keys on me. Yeah, once you got the ethers, then you could use the magic fairly as much as you wanted to. Uh, at least it wasn't much of an issue. Although what I used to do when I wanted to use magic, um, I felt I, I grinded in a free, few different spots to kind of get a few levels to make the dungeons easier. And what I would do is I would go to town, sleep at the inn, which otherwise I wouldn't bother. I would sleep at the inn, get full MP, go out, nuke a bunch of stuff with spells. Go back, pay the 10 gold, which I've already gotten 10 times over by grinding and do it all over again. I found doing that five or six times was enough to give me a jump on the XP to make hard dungeons a little bit easier. See, I didn't have to do that, but uh, there was a point where I was lost and you had to give me a little bit of direction to find the snowmen, (laughs) to find the ice area. And I had found a follow-up area of the world map before that where I just... I had to level up a few times in the area just to survive the area. And then for the rest of the game, I was kind of OP. Was that the um, Eminette Coast? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, when I first heard that, I'm like, Eminette? What the hell, Eminite? I'm like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, oh, like like the insect or the prehistoric insect must be or something. And then you see a a beach with a bunch of shells that kind of look like prehistoric. Yeah, it's that there was that and then... I think I found another area, too, that was the wrong area, going up the wide river. I remember that. Is that where you get the, the you fight the lich and get nuke? Yes. So I yeah. I went there. And so that area is full of kind of powerhouses. And then yep. I left there and everything else was weak. I was like, oh, okay, you guys are just going to get owned <laughs> now. Well, I made the mistake of going there early as well, and I went through, somehow got through the several screens of the dungeon, and you enter, you fight the boss Lich, and the thing is, he gives you the spell Nuke, which you do need to story progress, and it's also a powerful spell, but if you can go there earlier than you need to, and he was just wrecking me, and it didn't matter what I did, or how much I ground up levels, I was getting my ass kicked, so I had to like turn around and come back through the dungeon, which was also difficult, and run off to town and find where I was supposed to go. It was kind of weird that it's nice that you could kind of go ahead and try to get it. But I wish there was more guidance of where you're supposed to go. Because you're right. It is confusing where you go at that point in the game. And the map in this game, like you were saying earlier, is massive. So there's a lot of times where you're given a vague descriptor of where to go. And then a general idea of what direction it is from where you are in some cases. Or what part of the map it's on. Or what, you know, in some cases, it's not even where on the map. It's just the Ammonite coast. They don't tell you where it is. They just describe it as the Ammonite coast. So you're looking for a place with fossils everywhere. (laughs) So these vague descriptors don't do a whole lot of good. Right. Fossils, not seashells. (laughs) At one point, I was like, well, this looks like something I haven't seen. So this must be the snow area. But it doesn't really seem snowy. Well, without the colors, I mean, it just looks like, I don't know like sand fields or something like it's very weird if, if not for the walruses and the, the walking snowman there's no way you would know what's the snow fields it's 
It's very bizarre. And like that, there is a world map in the game. I don't know if you ever used it. I never used it. Oh, yeah. It's It has six squares that look like a building and then a bunch of empty squares. Yeah. So the buildings are the towns and then the rest <laughs> is just map. <laughs> I've, <laughs> like, I've not seen many more maps in games that are more useless than that one. Yeah. It's it's so bad. Like how hard. I mean, I, I'm looking at like Link's Awakening, which had a fantastic overworld map compared to Final Fantasy Adventure. And you just want to like shoot yourself. It's terrible. I want I want to touch one more time on the the thinness of this game's plot and writing. <laughs> You're told about the legendary sword, I believe it was, and they're referring to Excalibur. And yeah. you ask where it is, and the guy is like, "It's somewhere in this world." <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. So what you're saying is it exists. <laughs> yeah, it's in this dimension. <laughs> <laughs> Am I hot? Am I cold? Oh, you're definitely, definitely here. <laughs> it's like no help whatsoever. Yeah. And then you get to the ending. And like we said earlier, they just backload a whole bunch of plot to this game in the ending. And it's sad. It's messed up. It is not exactly a happy ending. So when I think of this game from when I was a kid, I actually really loved the story as a kid. And I thought it was great. And it was only playing it recently, like this, a couple weeks ago, where I realized, you're right, it's a thin, thinnest plot. But just the moment when they lore dump you, I just found it very touching. The music was very, very fitting. It was awesome. But you're right when you find out, you know, from that the girl is basically, basically her family lineages, the, the females in the family become the tree of mana. They give their lives to actually become a tree. And that her mother was the, the previous tree of mana that's been destroyed. And that she's the last one and she has to give her life to become the new mana tree. Like you go through the entire game to save and protect this girl and she leaves you to become a tree. Not only that, but inevitably this sort of circumstance will happen again in this world. So next time, oh, it's fucked. There's nothing. Yeah. (laughs) I hope you saved an acorn because you ain't getting no trees after this. There's no mana tree again after this one if this mana tree is corrupted it's done (laughs) world over man world over game's over man well so this is what got me about the plot then so i haven't played secret of mana or any other mana games really in a long time Uh, and even then i think i only played the snes one really is there a tree of mana in any of those games yeah there's the tree of mana and secret of mana there's the tree of mana in legend of mana um I think it's pretty clearly visible on the cover of Dawn of Mana for the PS2, but I've never played the game, so I can't exactly say one way or the other. I can't speak to Children of Mana. I couldn't get into the game enough to play much of it. Do any of these mention the Gemma Knights at all? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, in Secret of Mana, they have the character named Gemma, and I think that was maybe something wrong with the translation. And he was supposed to be the last Geminite. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. At least there's some kind of callback to the original game. Otherwise, you have the gem people, the people who are gems, in Legend of Mana for the PlayStation. But I'm not sure if that's a sort of inspiration and offshoot of the idea, or if it just happens to be you know they're gems i i couldn't say 
Uh, it's just a weird thing. It's like uh, on the one hand, I do like the story, uh, what little there is of it in the plot. It's definitely tropey. But then some of the stuff is just a weird – it doesn't seem like the, the Mana series. Like you mentioned Excalibur, right? We're all used to like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy having the Mazamoon. Secret Mana is the Excalibur. But you actually get the sword at the end of the game from the Lady in the Lake, which is kind of a weird like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For all the shortcomings of this game, it did actually set a pretty big precedent for lore with future entries in the game, be it, you know, the the limitations that they had to overcome to make the sprites interesting and unique. In some cases, those tropes got fleshed out into somewhat less tropey things, and what they had turned those tropes into became the lore, like the Tree of Mana. It's always present in some cases, different ways. I think in Legend of Mana, it was the Mana goddess was the tree of Mana and right. the darkness had corrupted her. So you have to beat her up to knock the darkness out of her. I mean, that's I'm really simplifying here, but. I'm sorry, officer. You don't understand. She's corrupted with darkness. <laughs> yeah. So then she becomes pure again and it fixes the tree of Mana <laughs> and then the world starts to purify again. So they, they they took the mana tree and really ran with it. And it, it let them expand on the various worlds of mana in interesting ways. I do think pretty consistently the tree of mana has had some sort of ability to think and speak. I seem to remember Legend of Mana having a, a tree, a sentient tree with like the, the whole face and the whole getup. Okay, that was a different creature entirely. It was a Trent. Oh, okay. And you used that for a mini game to upgrade weapons and grow fruit and stuff. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well. <laughs> the game got's charm, man. I'm telling you. When you go from Secret of Mana to Legend of Mana, it's a very jarring difference in gameplay. So it's it's kind of hard to really compare Legend of Mana to Final Fantasy Adventure with as far off the rails Legend of Mana got in terms of a lot of gameplay mechanics. Yeah, I, I wish I had a chance to play it because like, I only played the Game Boy one, and I did play the SNES Secret of Mana, but that was pretty much my experience with the series. I wanted to mention something earlier when we were talking about how it's an offshoot of Final Fantasy. What I, what I like about Secret of Mana is it really led into the fantastical. It leaned into it hard, the Mana series in general. Whereas Final Fantasy is always, you know kind of holding the line near futuristic technology of some sort. Yeah, science, like magic is magic, steam tech, steampunk type of thing. Whereas Final yeah. Fantasy Adventure and Secret of Mana is kind of like just you, you ride a flying dragon, you are shooting through cannons as travel. Like it's definitely got its quirks. Yeah, even when there's technology, it's very much technology powered by magic. The robots are usually golems, the... Right. It's it's always very magical, and they try to maintain that without it being so in-your-face fantasy that it's a little hard to swallow. It's it's a weird sort of fantasy that's still just kind of out there. <laughs> well, it's nice to see that it sticks to the fantasy roots, because I, I, I do like Final Fantasy lore in, in the franchise, but you're right. I mean, when you have somebody walk up to a computer terminal or a subway car, right, or they're using guns, that has its place, but... I do like the fantasy aspect that is Secret of Mana. And to be fair, Secret of Mana did have references to technology where you could see, you know, you'd go up to spheres and they'd show you broadcasts from when the world ended 
before. You'd get pieces of broadcasts, and it was kind of hard to really know that's what was going on, but the idea was your characters were looking at a screen and seeing very iffy images and sound audio clips of news broadcasts and stuff of when the world ended. And then even when you're in the Monopalis from the sunken continent, I think that's what it was called, the Monopalis, you end up riding a subway. See, I love all that stuff. I always loved the post-apocalyptic fantasy style scene. I always love that stuff. I wish the Game Boy game had some of that. But it it wasn't in your face about it. So if you weren't really looking at it, you kind of could miss it. That's how under the radar they go with it in this series is when there is technology, it's it's very much not at the forefront. It's so far from what you're thinking about that you might not notice it's there. That's that's how much fantasy it is. And I love that. Well, that's why I was asking about like the, the future games, if there was Gemma Knights and Tree of Mana, because I love what they've done with the world building in the first game. And I, I kind of want to see how much of that was through the series, right? Is there any connection at all? Because, you know, Final Fantasy is notorious for never being final. And for the most part, <laughs> the sequels are independent of each other, right? Secret of Mana has more similarities, I think. But I think the plots are still unrelated. Yeah, I think so. Um, because and, like, They never give you the name of the world, I don't think. Uh, I believe in Secret of Mana, they call it Gaia. Okay. And so I think if it's ever given a name, it's almost always Gaia. But... They don't really have you focus on that so much as just the idea of this, it's its own world entity. So even if they're called Gaia, it's never the same Gaia. I, I do like this game a lot. It, like I mentioned before, as Game Boy has got a special place in my heart as a kid because the games were cheaper. And I think I owned a bunch of them. And games like this were just a lot of value. I remember the game being quite long when I was a kid, but it might just be that I played it multiple times. Um, I, I was able to crank this one out, I think, in 15 hours or less. I want to say I was playing the Switch. I bought the Switch, the Mana Collection, which has this game as well as Secret of Mana. And then the um, Secret of Mana, is it three or two? I guess it's two. Well, no, it's three because this game is the first one, <laughs> um, which I play a little bit of all of them. But it's the original one, uh, Final Fantasy Adventure, that I remember the most. Um, and I do quite like it quite a bit. I want to know how you felt like the the pacing of the challenge of the game was. Did you find it difficult at all? I actually didn't. I think I died maybe three times. And (laughs) the worst part of that is it's usually because I wasn't really paying attention. I'd die. And then because it had been so easy for a while, I hadn't thought to save. And I'd end up having to go back (laughs) like an hour. Yeah, if I was lucky, it was go back five minutes. But I think there was twice where I went back half hour to an hour. So I forgot you had to save at all in this game when I first oh, no. started up. And I thought it was tied to the inns in town. Surprise, it's not. And if you don't save like I didn't do for the first two hours when you die, <laughs> I started from the very beginning. Right from the right from the Coliseum, right with Willie. Remember him. And I do it all over again. I was really pissed. I almost stopped playing because I was down on vacation doing it. it. I was so pissed off because <laughs> that included some grinding too. I spent about half an hour grinding, so I had to do it all over again. So I want to I drop a little bit of uh, trivia about Seiken Densetsu because I don't know if you've ever looked into it, but if you look into the translation of Seiken Densetsu, okay. Densetsu means legend, tradition, folklore, that sort of thing. So I think it's safe to assume legend. Uh, Seiken 
means administration or political power. What? So I, I always thought it was, and I looked this up back in high school, you know, back in the infancy of Google and all that. And I think I remember looking into the translation and thinking it's like political legend, basically. So it's... It's just weird. Because there's no, there's no Game of Thrones style politics or houses at all in right? this game. It's, there's the Empire, the Vandal Empire. Yeah. But we don't know much about them. But then, not only that, but when I look up right now on Google Translate, and I type in Seiken Densetsu, it just gives me the word training. <laughs> that's just, It yeah. translates to training, apparently. I'm guessing that's not quite right. It's such right. a weird thing. Like, this game is full of odd translation choices. Like, I, I've, I've read a little bit that um, some of the names didn't really carry across. Like, there's, a, I guess, like a, a haunted manor dungeon uh, a little bit early on in the game. And the protagonist, the bad guy there, in the game, it's Mr. Lee. It's Mr. Lee. He's actually a vampire. But in the Japanese game, it translates to Count Lee, which makes 20 times more sense that he's a count <laughs> and he's a bat. But in the English one, they call him Mr. Lee, like he's like, you know, a oh, movie man. star or something. I, I never got it. Yeah, there's a lot of those. I didn't really catch some of the quirky names. I don't know why I didn't think to pay attention to that kind of stuff. Well, the other things, too, with the translation was, I guess you can squeeze more dialogue in Japanese into the card. Yeah. Um, so there are some NPCs in the Japanese game that give a little bit more information or hints on what to do and where to go. Um, some that have repeated dialogue. And that's stuff that you don't see in the English translation at all, right? Like you said, the sword is somewhere, right? Or a man named Bogart. And you're like, okay, sure. Or like Kiba is here or Siba is here. Yeah, th there's a lot of names that you kind of don't know how to pronounce them. Yes, it's definitely, it's definitely odd. I, I was calling it Siba, but it could be Siba or Kiba. And either way, it's it's possible that his name was supposed to be Kiba in Japan. I don't know. But actually that would that sounds a little bit more true to Japanese stories and stuff, or at least at least my anime experience is Kiba. But yeah. There's definitely just a number of names, a number of translations in this game that really didn't make it to the West very well. And with the fact that they translated Trials of Mana on the collection recently, I'm surprised that there was zero attempt made at retranslating Final Fantasy Adventure. I wouldn't think it would have taken all that many resources, but that's just me. Did you play that new game yet? Because I played it. I played it when I was well years ago now, when the the fan translation was fairly new, and that's done by the community, I guess, or one guy did it. I'm curious how Square decided to retranslate in English officially and how much difference there is. I have not. I remember firing it up once upon a time, found it and uh, emulated it, but it was in Japanese, so I didn't know what was happening. I didn't really get into it. I didn't give it more than maybe two hours. Yeah, that's why the fan translation for that was such an amazing thing because it, it actually was a brand new, solid-looking great RPG game, and it was based on a series I already liked anyway. So I was, I was always I was glad to play it. But I'm curious how officially the translation plans out. Because you're right, it is kind of odd that Square really didn't do anything in the re-release. It's it's essentially the same game I played on the Game Boy, but now on my Switch. Yeah. I'm guessing Secret of Mana got the same thing. I'm wondering if Secret of Mana even has the ability to be three players in this one, actually. Uh, it's definitely two. So I did that with my kid, but I don't know if it's three. 
I have to try that out. I, I, I can't see why they wouldn't do the three player. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. But that's, again, getting off topic from Final Fantasy Adventure. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, for the remake, I mean, maybe it's a good time to touch on touch on the remakes a little bit. Um, I mean, we didn't play the remakes, I think, exhaustively. Um, but there were actually two for Final Fantasy Adventure. Yeah, the second one I've kind of wanted to play. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> So the, well, the first one was um, Sword of Mana on the Game Boy Advance, and it's basically a reimagining of the game. The graphics and the combat are very much like Secret of Mana on the SNES, to a degree. The The combat is very much like Secret of Mana on SNES. The graphics are actually more in line with Legend of Mana for the PlayStation. Oh, interesting. It's, okay. the, the artwork is a little bit more flowy, a little bit more uh, light, I guess you'd say. Yeah, like less pixely, more... Uh, like crayons not crayons but like artistic yes it's it's not a lot of hard lines it's a lot of soft edges flowing hair that sort of thing and it's it's quite good i like the art style quite a bit in it mm-hmm. but uh for me uh, the combat was very much like the snes game um but otherwise the story was most the same they definitely expanded you like i said willie willie has got a return in this game and you have a little bit more dialogue with them um, I didn't get very far in it, though. I got up to the point with Mr. Lee there in his manor, and I soft-locked the game. And <laughs> I actually bought this game for the Game Boy Advance because I love the old game. I bought it on the Game Boy Advance. As and did I. soft-locking physical hardware, that, suck, that sucks now. That sucks, especially when you're a kid, and there's no patching back then. So I don't know how I did it, but I soft-locked it, and I don't, you only get a handful of save slots. I think you only get the two, even in the Game Boy one. And you're screwed if you didn't save prior to that properly. So I got myself stuck. Yeah, I I don't think I got far enough for that to happen. But I don't know. I'm thinking maybe I'll revisit that game sometime in the near future and we can revisit this topic for that one. Yeah, I'd like to because you get to choose uh, to play as the boy or the girl as the central to the story. So I am curious how the story changes uh, for either character. So um, that one's interesting. The other one that came out... Not too long ago, uh, a couple years ago, I want to say 2016, maybe 2017, was the remake of the original Game Boy game, but on mobile, on Android and iOS. I don't know. Did you try that at all? No, I've wanted to. It, it's You said it was on Vita, right? Cause... Yes. I, I can't remember if it was originally on Vita or if it came to Vita after mobile or if it was the same time, but I, I, don't I originally know which played way on Android. I went either, but uh, I, I had an S3 a Samsung Galaxy S3 when it came out. So my phone was not yeah. going to be able to run it. <laughs> I'm actually kind of interested in maybe trying it on my current phone, but that's if I can get Google to let me use my play credit. The pro- so the problem I have with, with Squaresoft and mobile RPGs is they're really expensive and they're not always the greatest of, of ports or you know tra- uh, translations, I guess, across. Yeah. Um, the mobile version of Final Fantasy VI is terrible. The Chrono Trigger one is also not good. But something about the look of this one was enough to talk me into buying it. It's also probably on sale. But I think even on sale, it was still like six bucks, which is a lot for a mobile game. But having played the original, I'm like, well, it's upgraded visually. If it's the same, sure. And I tried it. But the combat is, it is it is more like the original Game Boy game than the GBA remake. Mm-hmm. But it's very floaty and glidey. And you feel like you're playing a really badly done mobile port. Like, it does not feel good at all. And this is the one that they titled Adventure of Mana, right? Or Adventures of Mana? 
Yes, that's the one. Yeah, but yeah. it's when you look at the characters and the layouts of dungeons, it's for, it's pretty much a one for one remake of the original Game Boy game. Oh wow, interesting. So I also not get very far in it. Um, I kind of got tired of the combat. I, I, just <laughs> some of the controls was really bad. I mean, again, trying to play a role playing game without a controller, it sucks no matter how you're going to slice it. I would love to try maybe playing it now with uh, maybe a Bluetooth controller on my phone to try and see if it controls better. But the on screen controls was bad. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But uh, it's a game I really wanted to play. But like I said, my phone wasn't going to handle it. And I wasn't going to buy a Vita. So <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't love a good Vita? You know, apparently everybody because they only sold like 12 of them. But <laughs> uh, like, I'm, I'm glad it got widespread release after the fact, even if it's on mobile. Right. It's, it's, it's the same thing with the Wii U games being ported to the Switch. Like at least at least these games get a chance to be exposed to other people. Yeah. And like you ask people about Final Fantasy Adventure, I find a lot of people have not played it, right? Or they they think it's Final Fantasy Legend, which is a completely different series entirely. Yeah. Well, that's because there were three Final Fantasy Legend games on the Game Boy. And so right. when you talk Final Fantasy on Game Boy, that's what most people lean toward if they're familiar with Final Fantasy on the, that hardware at all. And it was also a pretty rudimentary RPG in its terms, right. it was, you know, combat was not random. It was every X steps you got into a fight and it changed up in a pattern of like numbers. So, you know, the first time you go from one to the next, it was five steps. And then from one to the next, it was 17. And then from one to the next, it would be six or something like that. Oh, well, you could track would, the encounters if you were, cl- you, if you kept track of the spaces. Yes, you could. Interesting. Huh. <laughs> I actually wouldn't have mind that in the uh, mainstream Final Fantasy games myself. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and you look at Final Fantasy Adventure, the combat is, like I said, it's very much, a, it feels like Zelda in a lot of ways in terms of uh, the way you move around. It does, and I think that's one of the things I liked about it. Because despite having trouble finding areas later in the game, except for when they're telling you things like, go to float rocks and stuff like that, a lot of the areas that you see very clearly read as what they are, and they look nice. You know, you've got the crystal desert. You've got the actual desert with palm trees. You've got the plains with trees or the forests and all that. And it, it all reads really well. Yeah. It, the way they did the, the style of the graphics, the characters, like everything looks surprisingly like what it's supposed to, right? Like they did a great job of conveying the feel of the uniqueness of those enemies and locations with the usual Game Boy top palette of like, you know, what, 16 colors and, and, and pixels. It's amazing what they did with the Game Boy. Just absolutely amazing. It's one of my favorite looking Game Boy games in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I, I guess it's safe to say that we both really love this game. I mean, we dump on it a little bit in the beginning, but there's a lot to love in this game. It's definitely a classic, I think, RPG game for the Game Boy. Yeah, for a game that's almost 30 years old, it's still a ton of fun. I, 30 years old, four shades of gray. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it, for considering, it held up pretty well. Well, the gameplay, you know what? It just goes to show you how much solid gameplay will last, right? Five years, 10 years, 30 years, doesn't matter. If the gameplay is fun and solid, it's great. Like, as much as, you know, I'd love to see more plot in the game, it doesn't need it. No. The music is great. The combat's fun. It's a fantastic game. The plot was enough to give you something to chew on while you were going through and just having fun killing everything and exploring and figuring out what to do next. And when you compare it to other Game Boy titles, 
none of them really were epic stories. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? True. There's an RPG a friend of mine absolutely loves called Great Greed. I've never played it, but we still quote some of the just horrid, horrid dialogue in that game. <laughs> and it was, the game was a total tropey cheese fest from what I'm told. But he loves it, so <laughs> it's, it's, it just it's all about the you, gameplay. Like the games you play as a kid hold up. Exactly. So hopefully any of you who come back and try this game after never playing it, you'll enjoy it. If not, I'm sorry. But this wasn't even a game from my childhood. I didn't play it until I was 15. And it's got a great remake or a re-release on the Switch. It's part of a three-pack for 40 bucks US. That's It's a great deal. Honestly, it's a great deal. It is. All right. Well, I think that's an episode. Where can folks find you, Wolf? Um, they can find me on Twitch or Twitter or here. Uh, Werewolf, W-A-R-E-W-U-L-F-F. And I'm Sick Jake. You can find me uh, occasionally on Twitch, but mostly on Twitter at S-I-C-J-A-K-E. All right, folks. Thanks very much. Have a good one. We look forward to hearing from you next time. Enjoy your kiss. Special thanks for music go to Arthur the Ancient found on SoundCloud or The Last Ancient on YouTube. For more episodes, please visit our website, pressb2cancel.com. As well, feel free to like or subscribe at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you'd like to listen to your favorite shows. As always, thank you. This has been... Thank you.